1: Dale Yocomb had one of the keenest minds of anyone that ever stood behind the sacred desk this sermon was preached at the Midwest Pilgrim hole in his camp meeting in 1984 in Anderson Indiana he titles this sermon a true heart I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful classic message keep passing
0: it on keep passing it on, keep passing it on.
1: Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. Shall we pray? Our God and our Father, we bless thy holy name because we can be here and be a part of this spirit that prevails in this sanctuary. We thank you we've been lifted, O Lord from the past of blindness, of weakness, of loss, of failure, of defeat, into the light and freedom and glory of Jesus Christ. Oh, we thank thee for thy lifting power. You're sure there are people in this congregation that need to be lifted tonight, lifted out of defeat into thy victory, lifted out of a sense of failure into thy overcoming grace, Lifted out of their uncleanness into thy holiness, O God, keep thy hand upon us tonight. May we respond, may we be as prayerful as we can be while we listen to thy word. May our hearts be open to hear thy voice and to respond and make this a night of victory all to the praise of Christ, for he is worthy of all of our praise. Amen. may be seated. Thank you. Speaking tonight of a thought from verse 22, the true heart, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. The portion that I have read is the climactic portion of this mighty epistle to the Hebrews. Before this, the movement is toward the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and we reach it In this portion, the Holy of Holies in Christian experience, that's what we have here. We are are given the explanation that back in the days when the tabernacle was built, the priests ministered there. Only one day a year could a man go into the Holy of Holies, and that for a limited time and a very specific purpose. But the Holy of Holies has been opened, The veil has been rent in twain, and you and I can come boldly and enter in to the Holy of Holies and dwell there. Now, the tabernacle, of course, is long gone, and so is the temple. But he's talking about a Christian experience where we can live in the Holy of Holies with God. In this same verse, he traces the course in Christian experience leading to the Holy of Holies, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. The sprinkling was at the altar of sacrifice. That was just inside the court, the first item of furniture. And the sprinkling of blood, of course, refers to our justification. When our sins are all forgiven and all blotted out, that is a wholesome doctrine and very full of comfort, said John Wesley, to know that the past record of sins is totally blotted out. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't preach holiness because there's something defective about justification. It's a wonderful thing to know, and you can know, that every sin is blotted out and your record is perfectly clear before Almighty God. The judge of all mankind. That's good to know. But that's just the beginning. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The next item of furniture was the laver, the big molten sea, where the water of of washing was there for the priests as they ministered. That signifies the washing of regeneration. Justification and regeneration are two very different works of grace, but they're simultaneous. So we classify them as a part of the same great work. We are justified and regenerated in the same moment of time, but they're very different concepts. In regeneration, the Holy Spirit comes in and washes us as clean as if we had never sinned a single sin in our life and gives us a whole new life. The life of Jesus Christ comes in to replace the old life. And we have power to live a life above the level of sin. That's glorious to be regenerated. If you're regenerated at all, the Spirit has already come to take up his dwelling in your heart. He doesn't wait until we're sanctified holy to come into our hearts. He comes in at regeneration to reproduce the life of Jesus Christ in you. Those items of furniture out in the court. From there a person entered the holy place, the first tabernacle, and the accent of that place was on service unto God. Chapter 9, verse 6, says that the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. You're ready to start serving God if you're justified. You don't have to wait until you're sanctified holy to start serving God. Every believer ought to start serving God immediately. You ought to start witnessing immediately. Our dear brother preached this morning or gave a Bible reading on the Thessalonian church. It thrills me how much they did in evangelism before they ever knew the doctrine of second blessing holiness. Isn't that exciting, Brother Downing? Those people had evangelized the whole area around about them and done a good job of it before they even understood the doctrine of second blessing holiness. You don't have to wait until you're sanctified holy to start serving God. The outer tabernacle is a place of priestly service continually. But beyond that was the Holy of Holies, and it was shut off from the priests except that one day of the year. But it's been opened until we can go into the Holy of Holies. And the accent there is on fellowship and perfection. Over and over, the Hebrew writer sounds the note of perfection as we approach the Holy of Holies. A perfect fellowship with God. A perfected service before God. A perfection of our faith. A perfection of our love. A perfection of a relationship where we behold the glory of God and there's nothing between. Now, he says, if we're going to enter the Holy of Holies, the condition here is to have a true heart and full assurance of faith. I suppose that if you would take a poll of most of the people in the state of Indiana, poll of all of the people, most of them would tell you, sure, I have a true heart. But most of them would be wrong, because most of the people that think they have a true heart don't have a true heart. But thank God there are people who believe they have a true heart, and more than that, they do have a true heart, and they know they have a true heart. That's what I'm talking about tonight, a person who has a true heart and knows that he has a true heart. I want to read you something St. John said in his first epistle. And this sounds like the uh, highest kind of arrogance in uh, this kind of a world of relativism and skepticism and guesswork. But here's what John says. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us, and he that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth, and the spirit of error. How do you know the spirit of truth, John? Well, the people that believe what we say are people of the truth, and the people that don't believe what we say are people of error. I said that sounds like the highest kind of arrogance. But he said, We are of God, and he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth us Not, And this is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. That sounds like arrogance, and it would be arrogance if we didn't know that we were of the truth. This is not for guesswork. This is for knowing where we are before God, and if we're going to live in the Holy of Holies with God, we must have a true heart. I'm speaking tonight about some of the qualities by which we can know we have a true heart. I'm not talking about guesswork. I'm talking about having a, true, a heart that tells us the truth and we know our hearts are telling us the truth. And the first quality of that kind of people is that they have had a real revelation of the sinfulness and deceitfulness of their natural heart. Nobody can have a true heart until he's come to a revelation that his natural heart is not true. His natural heart is deceitful above everything else in the world and desperately wicked, and nobody can know his own heart unless God Almighty shows it to him. If you haven't had that kind of a revelation, you still have a false heart whatever you think about it. This does not come by self-evaluation. I appreciate good eyesight. God gave me a gift of good eyesight. The eyes are wonderful, wonderful organs of vision but my eyes have no capacity whatsoever to see themselves. And no matter how much we have in our minds and our hearts the powers of evaluation, we have no power at all to evaluate ourselves unless God gives it to us. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, I don't judge myself. He said, I don't know anything against myself, but I am not hereby justified, for he that judgeth me is the Lord. We are living in an age when people more and more are going on feelings. And if I feel comfortable about myself, that's the highest I can ever hope for. And there's a lot of religious propaganda today that God wants you to feel real good about yourself. You can feel very good about yourself and be totally lost, my friend. We don't have a true heart unless we've got beyond our feelings about ourselves. Every one of us ought to pray and pray often and pray most earnestly, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't try to search my own heart. I want God to do that. I don't know enough to search my own heart, but I want to be absolutely honest with God and ask Him to search my heart. He knows how to do it. He's going to be the judge that judges me at the judgment, and I want Him to do the judging right now. Paul said, I don't know anything against myself. I don't see anything wrong with myself, but I'm not not approved by that fact. I'm not approved until God passes judgment on me. The natural heart is deceitful. The writer of Proverbs said every way of man is right in his own eyes. Now if you're looking for generalizations that are staggering, there's one of them. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. You can take another poll across the state of Indiana. And ask people how they evaluate themselves and they'll find some way to come up with a pretty good evaluation of themselves no matter how God rates them. No, we don't come to a true heart by estimating how we stand in our own estimation. We come to this by a revelation of God. God is absolute truth. There's no darkness in him. There's no cover-up in God. There's no hedging, dodging, playing around the issues. God will bring you right to the point of your problem if you ask him to. I know because I've asked him to sometimes. And I know because the word tells us so. He searches our hearts. He constantly has our hearts under observation and he knows exactly what our problem is. I don't know how many people have problems here tonight but God knows every single problem in the house and he knows a perfect diagnosis for your problem and you can find his diagnosis if you want to. God the Father is truth. God the Son is truth. God the Holy Ghost is truth. God's Word is truth. Thank God for the truth. Thank God we don't have to go under a cloud of error. I praise God that we have an open Bible. And if you have an open heart and an open Bible and the Holy Spirit to apply the open Bible to your open heart, you'll get help, my friend. One thing I have a passion after, and that is to be a preacher of God's Word. I'm not interested in in varying the slightest particle from God's Word to declare my notion and my impressions, and my ideas. I want to be able to back up everything I preach by the Word of God. You know, it's as serious to put the standard too high as it is to put it too low. Did you know that? I can prove it from the Word if you want proof. I want to stay right where the Word is. I don't know the hearts of the people that are here but God does and God knows how to direct the word to somebody's heart and he's going to be doing it in the next few minutes. He knows exactly how to get through to your heart by the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And when the word begins to cut into our heart friends you're going to come to a revelation of what your heart is like unless you begin dodging and hedging and hiding and pulling down the blinds and pulling up the mask and uh, hiding from God's revelation. That's why I want to preach God's word because God is going to take the word and is going to penetrate your mask. He's going to get through your harness. He's going to penetrate that cover-up and that disguise. That you ha- He's going to go through it tonight and begin to reveal what your heart is really like. And it'll be fully exposed unless you begin to hedge and dodge and back up and fog the issue and make your excuses. And this is where judgment begins, brother. This is where judgment begins. When the Word of God comes to us and begins to expose what we are and we make a decision, I don't want that. I don't want to know what I am i want to go on playing like something. It's a painful thing to have our hearts revealed in the sight of God. It's never comfortable. That's why so many churches don't have this kind of thing anymore. It makes people miserable, and they always want people comfortable in their society. It's extremely miserable to have a deceitful, sinful heart exposed in the light of God's truth and His holiness. Lots of churches don't want that kind of misery going on in their ranks. But it's got to heaven, it's got to happen if we're going to have true hearts. Right. We have to have this exposure in order to have the correction. When Isaiah the prophet went into the temple one day and he saw the holiness of God, God high and lifted up, with his train filling all the temple, he said, Woe is me. That's painful. I am undone, and the word means to be cut off like a tall tree and fall smack on the ground. I am cut down at the ground. I have nothing left standing. I have seen myself in the light of God's holiness. Oh, God, let it happen tonight. Let it happen in this camp meeting when people's cover-ups are ripped away and their hearts are exposed in the light of God's holiness and they cry out, Woe is me! I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Peter had this revelation, a heart of unbelief. When his unbelief was exposed, he said, Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's painful. Saul of Tarsus, that self-righteous righteous Jew, had a revelation of his own covetous heart. And he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's painful. But it has to happen. You'll never have a true heart until your natural heart is exposed for what it is, a deceiver, a polluter. Unlike a holy God. Jonathan Edwards had a vision of the inward sinfulness of his own heart. And here's what he said. I had a vastly greater sense of my wickedness and the badness of my heart than ever I had before I was converted. I have longed of late, he said, to lie low before God. I have taken such a view of wickedness that it looks like an abyss infinitely deeper than hell. What's he seeing? He's seeing the heart of sinfulness and deception. You've read about, perhaps, the revival under Evan Roberts in Wales, that mighty moving of God that came about through the instrumentality of Evan Roberts and a band of young people, primarily, on fire for God. Evan Roberts and two young ladies from their band of youth were invited one day into the church of Mount Sion, Their pastor was absent. It was a fashionable church, a big church. The assembly hall was filled with stuffy women and officious men, proud of their fixtures and proud of their performance and proud of their ritual. But when the team came in, Evan Roberts dropped to his knees as was his custom and stayed there groaning before God for a moving of his Holy Spirit. The two young ladies began to sing choruses, and God began to bless. They sang with the freedom and the power and the anointing of God Almighty upon them. In that congregation, some of these stuffy women with their big hats were incensed at the indignities of these young ladies. They didn't follow the decorum of their sanctuary, and they fairly snorted their indignation. But the girls kept on singing, and Evan Roberts kept on praying, and pretty soon the power of God struck that place and these officious men and puffy women fell flat on their faces on the floor. They didn't have any Sunday school. They didn't stop for dinner. These people had a revelation of their hearts before a holy God, and the meeting went on, and when one began to confess, the power struck another one who needed to confess, and it went on, and it went on, and revival came to Mount Zion. Their hearts were exposed in the light of a holy God. We've got to have it, friends. We've got to have an exposure of the natural heart of people that will reveal the cover-ups and the disguises and the subterfuges and the masks and the excuses that people make for their unholiness and the treachery of their sinful hearts. And God wants it to come. What you see in your heart will be different from what you see in your heart. And it will all be different from what I saw in my heart because the picture is as varied as our hearts are. What I saw was a quarrelsome disposition and an envious nature. What my mother saw was love for vanity and love for things and love for the applause of people. What you see may be a stinking, blasphemous pride of what you are and what you can do. It may be in somebody a bitterness, an unforgiving spirit, a tattletale spirit, a uh, a gossiping tongue. There are a thousand different symptoms, but God knows how to expose it if you let the word cut into your heart and you won't begin to hide yourself behind of a bunch of professions and a bunch of excuses. If we're going to have a true heart, we absolutely have to have a revelation of what our natural heart is. And it's not pretty, ever. Secondly, after we've had this revelation, there has to be a total Final renunciation of what we are in order to become what God wants us to be. There has to be a renunciation. I mean a total, absolute, irreversible renunciation of the condition of our sinful heart, its deception, its selfishness, its sinfulness. We have to be finished. We have to be finished with every false way. The psalmist said, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. It's almost unbelievable how many devices the natural heart can come up with to make itself keep looking good in its own sight no matter how appalling it is in the sight of God. The heart is capable of a thousand and one false devices to keep the person looking good to himself. You know, every way of man is right in his own eyes. And no matter how abysmally wicked the heart is, the heart can come up with some disguise to make it look perfectly good to itself. And this kind of thing is going on on every hand. The manufacturing of masks to make me look good to myself no matter how sinful and wicked the heart may be in the sight of God. There are some people who when the truth comes straight and searching begin to pout over an injury and play the martyr role. Oh, how injured I am. How unappreciated I am with all of my excellent qualities. I see the pastor doesn't appreciate me anymore. And the evangelist was certainly aiming that right at me with all of my piety and with all of my patience. I have been mortally wounded. I am a martyr for the cause. Is there anybody who would come and pout with me? Is there anybody who would come and pet me on the back and tell me really how valuable I am to the church? Would you come and pout with me tonight? What is this? A disguise of what a person really is. And if the pouting party can't get rid of that meddlesome pastor... They'll go and start a pouting church Or go and uh, join another church uh, Where uh, my character will be appreciated more than it is you know, I'm just naming a few of the devices that people play with you know, To keep themselves looking nice in their own eyes I was preaching about Judas in a church a thousand miles and more from here A couple years ago Mentioned the case of Judas there in the house of Simon when the alabaster box of ointment was broken and Jesus was being exalted and praised. The atmosphere was so heavenly. But here's Judas with his deceitful, sinful, satanic spirit. Judas plays the role of an expert financier. He becomes the champion of fiscal responsibility. And in that circle, his heart is out of tune. He isn't in tune with the praises of God and the perfume of the alabaster box. There's something crosswise of his selfish, stingy, grasping, greedy disposition. But he wants to play his part. And so he assumes the role of the champion of fiscal integrity. I noticed as I was preaching about Judas, a number of women in the church just began to sob, just broke into tears as I bore down on the Judas spirit. The people who in the holy presence of God, they're never broken over lost souls. They never erupt with praise and worship and glory to them. They're the champion of fiscal soundness. Judas said when the alabaster box of ointment, this should have been sold and given to the poor. I'm a champion, you know, of fiscal response. This church could never get along without a financial expert. No, I never get blessed. That's not my role. My role is to be the champion of fiscal soundness. And Judas is is the fiscally Sound uh, uh, person in the discipleship. Well, the reason these women burst into tears is because there was a Judas right there in their congregation. He didn't break that night and he hasn't broken since. He's a Judas. He cover-ups the emptiness of his soul. He covers up the unloveliness of his soul by his championship of finances. I'm talking about cover-ups that people use There are some people that uh, their business is to prove how spiritual they are. They've compromised definite issues. But they want to prove they can do this and be just as spiritual as anybody else. I had a young man and wife come to the altar where I was preaching one time, and in the course of their preaching they pulled off some rings. They said, we've been playing this game too long. We've been trying to prove that we could wear the reins and be just as spiritual as anybody else. And we've come to recognize that we're not spiritual by trying to prove it to somebody. People that are really spiritual are not interested in trying to prove it. They're interested in pleasing God. These people want to prove how spiritual I am. I'm just spiritual as anybody else. They're not spiritual at all. They're carnal. This is just a game that people play to cover up what they really are. There are others who become specialists in reinterpreting the Word of God to allow what they wanted to allow all along. There are people that work full-time on doctoring the doctrine. The title on this track was The Professing Holiness Families' Grubby Little World. Isn't that beautiful? The Professing Holiness families' Grubby Little World. The writer of this tract has a list of uh, 20 things you've got to do to get by with God. I'm not going to read all of them. There's not time for all of them. But after he's given all these 20, he says, Now, when you, if you ever get up and testify again and are not doing all of these things, you're like an Ananias and Sapphira. You're not lying to men. You're lying to God. This is light for you. Period. Let me just read a few of these things that he says you you have to do to get by with God. You've got to get rid of your radio. He says it's a television set without a picture tube. You've got to get rid of your newspapers and magazines, the professing holy man's smut and filthy lucre resource of worldly events. You've got to get rid of all Pepsi-Cola, Coca-Cola, coffee and tea just as harmful, I'm quoting here, just as harmful and even more worldly than beer, wine, and whiskey. You've got to get rid of all candy and chocolate and chewing gum, just about as worldly as anything on the face of the earth. You've got to get rid of all the cameras and all the pictures. All the cameras and all the pictures. The professed holy man's bid for Hollywood and fame. You've got to get rid of the record player. The tape recorder. That's getting pretty close, isn't it? The hypocrite's jukebox without a coin slot. You've got to get rid of all the so-called pictures of Christ in your homes and in the house of God. You don't even know the first commandment. That picture is a lie. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie can not enter into the kingdom. And to allow it is the same as to bow down to it. That's serious, isn't it? Dress, plain and modest, with sleeves to the wrist and dresses to the ankles, for it would be a shame to fall short. That's part of them. When I got this tract, my brother-in-law was in the home, and he said, "Uh, do you think the man is serious? I said, of course, he's entirely serious. No one's going to publish this as his own expense if he's not serious. He said, why do you think a man would write something like that? I said, I don't know the man any better than you do. But I'll make a guess. The man is covering up deep sin in his own life. Anybody that's out to try to find some way of condemning everybody else but himself is fighting against an awful condemnation in his own heart. I said, that's my guess. I found out a little later than that the truth of the situation the man had been involved in an adulterous marriage. Then a little bit later still, I got the second tract from the man. And in the second tract, he was going to great length to reinterpret the scriptures to make allowance for his kind of adultery. You see what a man like that is doing? He is going to great lengths to cover up what he really is to make himself feel real good by condemning everybody else and justifying what he's doing. But that's exactly what the natural heart will do until it's revealed for what it is and cleansed from what it is to what it ought to be. Oh, that every person in the house tonight would say with David, I hate every false way. I don't want any cover-ups for what I am. I want to stay open and naked before God and have him fix me from what I am to what I ought to be. But, friend, it will never happen until you acknowledge what you are and renounce what you are and seek what God wants you to be. We have to be finished with false ways and false cover-ups. We also have to come to an end of our self-centeredness. When the priest went into the Holy of Holies, he wasn't central there. The glory of God was central there. The central place in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah of the glory of God hovering over the mercy seat between the wings of the cherubim. That was the central element in the Holy of Holies. And if you ever enter there, friend, you won't be central there. God will be central there. And this whole business of the mask and the cover-up is just so many devices to keep ourselves central. But before we can have a true heart, we've got to back down. We've got to be broken down. We've got to fall down and say, Lord, you take central place. I am finished with going my way. I am finished with seeking my own ambitions and my own plans and my own love affairs and my own pursuits, and my own pleasures, and my own plans, and my own ideas. Lord God, I'm finished with them. I want Christ to be all in all in my life. You'll know when it happens. You can point to the place where it happens. This doesn't happen uh, while you're half asleep. This happens while you're wrestling with the major issues of life and death and eternity. I am ready to come down off of my throne. I am willing to throw away my masks. I want Christ to be exalted in my life. Only to be what he wants me to be. Every moment of every day. That's the song as long as you live. If you have a true heart. We don't have any right to our own plans, our own desires, our own wishes, our own inclinations, following our own feelings. We're here for the glory of God if we have a true heart. We're here to lift up Christ no matter what it costs us. Oh, God, let it happen. Let it happen to our young people. Let it happen to some of our parents. Lord, I'm through seeking my own pleasure. I'm through seeking satisfaction from our own desires. I'm here to please God. I'm here to glorify Christ. I'm here to see that God is happy with what I am and what I do. Yes, we must renounce our own way. Having had a revelation of our own sinfulness, and having renounced the sinfulness and the deceitfulness and the self-centeredness of our hearts. Third and finally, we can come to the place where we rely wholly, we rely entirely on God's truth as the basis of our faith, the basis of our hope, the basis of our victory in Jesus Christ. A total reliance on the finality, hallelujah, the authority, the certainty of God's holy word. We can come to a place where we're ready to do this, to cast ourselves upon the authority of God's word and say, so be it to me. Be it unto me according to thy word. We can come to the place, I say, where we have a right to cast ourselves on the authority, the indestructibility, the infallible assurance of God's holy word and rest there in spite of hell and high water. Hallelujah! We're not depending on opinions and feelings and symptoms and impressions. We're not depending on experiences. We're depending on the finality of God's word. I don't preach easy believism. That's not what I'm preaching tonight. But my dear friend, we can come to the place when we've paid the price as I've described the price, where we know we're ready to step out on the authority of God's word and say, I have a right to stand here, and I do stand here, so help me God. Amen. Hallelujah. We're no longer depending on feelings. We're no longer depending on human opinions. God's law is written in our hearts. That's the word I began with tonight. I will write my law in their hearts. And in thy minds will I write them out. I never preach on this till I just get blessed almost beyond myself. I'm so glad that I know tonight God's law is written on my heart. I know tonight I would rather please God than 10 million other people on the face of the earth. I know it's true. At the very place where that subtle, deceitful fountain of sin erupted in me while I was a teenager, God has purged it away and put another fountain in my heart. And from the deepest well springs of my disposition, I delight to do thy will, O my God. I would rather please God than anything else in the world. I know it and God knows it. And I'm happy to have it that way. And God wants you precious young people to come to the same place where you'd rather please God than have all of the smiles of all of the beauty queens on the face of the earth. I live to please Him. He's written His law in my heart. I don't walk this way because somebody's holding a club over me. I walk this way because in my heart there's a want to. I walk this way because God has written his law in my heart. And that's the new covenant. Hallelujah for the new covenant. Praise the Lord, Sister McCain. I'm not going this way because the law says I have to. I go this way because the law in my heart says I want to. I want to please him. I'd rather please him than anything else in the world. I write my law in their hearts. They'll want to do my will. And his commandments are not grievous. We serve him because we love him. We follow him because we love him. We live like we live because we want to be more like him and less like the world. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! God has written, taken out the old writing of sin, the old writing of deception. He's put a new writing on the table of our hearts. Blessed be his name. I had a young lady come to my house one time, and she said, Brother Oakham, I have a serious problem. I believe God wants me to be a Bible school teacher, and I don't want to. Said I, I want to get married and have a home. I want to be able to drive a new automobile and I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to do either if I taught Bible school. That's probably right, too. God wants me to, but I don't want to. How do I solve this problem? Well, I said, you have to die to what you want and come alive to what God wants. Simple as that. Right. I said, when God asked Abraham to take Isaac and offer him on the altar of sacrifice as a burnt offering. He didn't say, Abraham, is this what you'd like to do? And Abraham didn't say, well, sure, God, that's what I've always wanted to do. That wasn't the question. God was testing Abraham to see if he was willing to do something that every fiber of his being revolted against because God wanted it. And I said, young lady, God isn't asking if you feel like this or if it's a thing you naturally want to do. He wants you to die to your own feelings and your own inclinations and come alive to what he wants you to do. We prayed together and she went on her way. But early the next morning there came a knock at my front door. I got up and her face was gleaming like a full moon. She said, I died at three o'clock this morning that I got some girls from the dormitory and we went over to the chapel and we prayed past the midnight and it was hard. But at 3 o'clock I died. And Brother Oakum, I want to do God's will. Well, praise the Lord. Thank the Lord. That's what it means. To have the law of God placed in our... We're not controlled by the opinions of other people. Now, I, other things being equal, I would rather have people approve of what I'm doing than disapprove of what I'm doing. I don't just try to, to, to make enemies. You've got plenty of them without trying. But when it comes to a showdown between pleasing God and pleasing people, that issue is already settled. There's no equivocation. There's no That issue is already settled. Yeah. I'm not here to please people. I, I'm here to please God. And he lets me know he likes that. We're not here to be controlled by our feelings. I heard a testimony of a dear preacher friend of mine. He said he was convicted one time of being in open violation, definite violation of God's Word. He was in a meeting where Brother H. Rob French was preaching, and God convicted him. And he knew that he was violating God's word, but he prayed like this. Lord, if I'm really all right with you, would you send a tingling sensation down my spine right now? And he said, sure enough, right then, a tingling sensation went all the way down my spine. And I said, isn't that wonderful... He knew he was in violation of God's Word, and later God convicted him of it again, and he prayed through and got the thing straightened out. I tell you that to illustrate that when people come square up against the light of God's truth and don't want to follow it, God will let you go comfortably into deception. That's one of the most appalling truths I know anything about, but I could illustrate it 25 times out of the Word of God. If you come up against God's truth and you say, I don't want it, God will let you feel perfectly good about going into darkness. God will even send the spirit of deception on you until you do feel good about going on in darkness. This man knew perfectly well he was violation of the word of God, but he wanted a sign and God let him have what he wanted to make him feel good in his sin. We're not here to follow our feelings. Right. We're here to follow God's open and clear word as applied to us by the blessed Holy Spirit. Oh, let's buy the truth and sell it not. And having surrendered to the control of God's word, we have a right then to rest in its perfect assurance. Having a true heart in full assurance of feeling. That's not what he said. Having a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now, that's not easy believism. If you paid the price I'm talking about, you come to a place where you have a right to stand on the Word of God and say, so be it. God has said it, and that settles it. Faithful is he that promised. God will never back down on his promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you get to the place where you're ready to stand out on the word, if the devil mocks at you, praise God right back at him. I have a right to stand on God. That's how Abraham handled his doubts, you know. I'm sure the devil came to Abraham a lot of times and said, You're not going to have a baby. You're too old and so is Sarah. But Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Anytime the devil came and suggested a doubt, he answered it with a shout of praise. Hallelujah, God's promise is true. The full assurance is not some lightning flash of sensation that rips down our spine and bursts out our heels. The full assurance is faith. The full assurance is faith. I have a right to trust God and hallelujah, I am. He that believeth on the Son of God has the witness in himself. I have a right to believe God and I am. I don't believe God tonight because I feel like it. I believe God because I made a decision. I'm going to obey Him and I'm going to trust Him. Whatever I feel like and whatever the devil says or whatever the world says, I've decided I'm going to be a believer. And I want to tell you something, I'm going to be a believer this time tomorrow night. I've got that settled. And God is true. God has promised to give a defense to those who trust him. I'm a believer tonight, and you can be too. You can get in the place where you know you've made a surrender. You've confessed the unholiness, the deceitfulness of your heart. You've cast away every false cover-up and every idea of preserving your own image and your own self-centeredness in your life. You can know you've come to that place and step out on the promise of God. I'm entering the Holy of Holies. There comes a place when we can go boldly into the Holy of Holies. Let us come boldly! The high priest knew that when he came to the Holy of Holies, if he wasn't qualified to go in there, he'd be smitten dead the moment he went into that place. But he could know he was prepared to go into the Holy of Holies. And he could go in there with boldness. And so the writer says, Let us hold, or let us, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. I sought holiness for a long time before I was clearly sanctified. As a teenage high school boy, I loved basketball. My parents never let me play on the team, which is all right. I loved to practice. but I came to the place where I wanted a pure heart more than I wanted to play basketball. I wanted a pure heart more than I wanted my supper. I came to the place where I sought God going to school and coming from school and going to the field and coming from the field driving up the cows or turning the cows out milking or eating supper. I was crying out to God, I want a pure heart. I'd like to see some teenagers today as hungry for God's holiness as I was. Teenage boy. I wanted God. I wanted a pure heart. I wanted to know God face to face with all of the question marks out of the way. Finally, in a midweek prayer meeting service, while dear Sister Scott was leading the congregation in prayer and the glory of God was kind of stirring around the place, I was kneeling back at the bench and I wasn't popping bubble gum and I wasn't whispering to a friend. I was praying. I was praying for a pure heart. I finally came to the place where I knew I had met all the conditions that I knew about and was willing to meet anything else that I didn't know about. I knew I had done everything I could possibly do, and my heart was crying out an insatiable thirst for the holiness of God. And I finally just said it rather deliberately and rather willfully, Lord, I am going to start trusting you right now. If there's anything else more I need to do, show it to me and I'll do it. But I'm going to start trusting you right now. Amen. And I said it over, Lord, I'm just, I'm just trusting you right now. Amen. And pretty soon, there wasn't any falling fire that tingled my hair. Pretty soon, I was aware of the fact that I was really trusting God. Amen. Amen. Hey, I am.
0: Amen. Hey, Hallelujah. hey, really.
1: I'm trusting the Lord. Amen. Isn't this wonderful? I'm not doubting. I'm trusting. And I've been trusting him ever since. That's the full assurance. I know I have a right to trust him. And I do trust him. And he is faithful at promise. If I trust him and he's faithful to keep his promise, that settles the matter. That wraps it up. Hallelujah. Let the fire fall or let the wind blow. Let the devil whisper or let God produce a shout in my soul. I am surrendered. I know it. God knows it. I'm resting on his promise. It can't be broken. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. But there are people here tonight that are wrestling with question marks. You're going on guessos. You practiced an excuse. You kept an image of yourself, a mask in front. Will you let God strip it away tonight and show you what your heart is really like? Will you come to the fountain of cleansing? Will you find a true heart tonight? You can. God wants to give it to you. And it'll be worth more than a million worlds when you draw near the crossing to know that you're not going along behind a false front. You're not making excuses. You're not wearing a mask. I'm standing open before God. Paul said as he came face to face with death, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in this world. What he is saying is, I know my heart is open before the sunlight of God and I'm ready for the crossing. If Jesus were to come right now, is there something in your heart that wells up with great praise? I know I'm ready. I've been living for this moment. I'm ready for it. No unfinished business. No cover-ups. I'm living open and exposed in God's light. Simplicity, godly sincerity. I'm ready for His coming. I'm ready for death. If you don't have that witness in your heart tonight, you ought to. A full assurance of faith and a true heart. Shall we stand? And as Brother Thomas prepares to sing, I want us to pray right now. Lord God, there are people in this congregation who have big question marks in their heart. There are some who have unsurrendered wills. There are those who have tried and failed and they've gone down in discouragement. We pray that they may come to the fountain tonight. You could cleanse them of fears and and doubts and deceit and unholiness. Give us a sanctified band who know where they stand and where they're going, who rejoice in doing thy will. While Brother Thomas sings, who else is going to come quickly? Bow here, God has shown you something wrong in your heart. You want a true heart. Would you come quickly?
0: As he sings. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch church holiness convention featuring Wesleyan voices past and present for more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855-USA.